BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, Ma! Get the meatloaf! What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Now, here's Balky and Blobber. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 82 of the Believe in Astros podcast on Believe Podcasting Network. On a happy day after a win, um, I'll be at a late night. Um, I'm Jeff Balky alongside my partner, Jeff Blum, who's back in H-Town for the extended homestand. Uh, Blummer, how are you doing this morning? Good. Just trying to catch up on uh, sleep, but uh, the Astros <laughs> won't let me do that. No matter pitch clock or anything like that, we're going to play three-hour games. Let's go. I was going to say, Blummer, it's like, uh, I mean, the, the pitching – it doesn't help when you – I mean, look, very <laughs> exciting game, admittedly. Uh, I watched – funnily enough, after the eighth inning, I watched it with on mute because my wife was trying to sleep and I was trying not to be too loud. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the uh, Chazzy Fizz meatloaf call was, uh, was a, certainly a highlight. And then, you know, but the pitching, good Lord. Like – Somebody's got to do something. Well, I, I think Dan Brown's probably yeah. going to try it. We'll talk about that um, mm-hmm. as we go into this. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and, of course, YouTube. And give us a follow on Twitter, or is it X? What's the hell? I don't it? know. I don't know, man. I had, a, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and it's like, do you ask them, hey, are you on X? <laughs> that could go, that could that go could sideways go in a hurry. Well, I mean... It isn't the 90s anymore for many of us. Yeah. So maybe that's why it rang a bell for <laughs> yeah, me. No, exactly. <laughs> or or didn't, depending on the circumstance. I'm just saying. Uh, True. <laughs> exactly. Um, find you can find me on, uh, everywhere at Jeff Balky Blummers at Plumber 27. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks to everyone who's giving us five stars and on Apple. Uh, keep on doing it. We love seeing all your comments and questions. Like, can we get Robo Umps that actually look like RoboCop? So I feel like oh. that would be cool. Like if we're going to have robots, that would be kind of cool. Shouldn't they look or, or like some robot from the past? Like, couldn't they ju- just for fun? I'm not suggesting that we have an actual, but like, you know, get the guy that's like danger, danger, like from uh, Lost in Space. <laughs> Something interesting. Yeah. Get- or Twinkie from, you know, what Battlestar, no, no. BD, BD, Strike Three. Buck Rogers, mind you. Yeah, that Buck Rogers. Buck there we Rogers go. Buck Rogers. Yeah. Twinkie. Bring back Aaron Gray, too. <laughs> oh, right? Dude. <laughs> Sorry. No. No. Believe me, that is just, you're not wrong. You're not wrong about that. Aaron Gray is top 10 from that era. Hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. First of all, Blummer. Speaking of uh, Hollywood, did you see Barbenheimer this weekend? <laughs> no, no, I did not. Barbie. I've got, or I've got four daughters. Yeah, I've got go? four daughters and a wife. Uh, I think he, I think one of my daughters went, mm-hmm. and my wife is going on Thursday to mm-hmm. go see Barbie. 
Um, but no, I, I've, I've opted out of the, uh, bar, at least the Barbie, uh, option of Heimer, Barbie Heimer, whatever yeah, it is. I, you know, it's fine. They're like, go see it in IMAX. I'm like, or I could wait till it's on my TV. This is the old, yeah. this is the old man in me speaking, <laughs> you know, it's like, go see the IMAX. Yeah, but I'm it's like, smart. Oh, I mean, once you, once you get a little bit, you know, older, wiser, you become, Hey, how can I make this more convenient? And that's not bad. Dude. I can sit on my couch, eat whatever I want, hang out with my dogs. Speaking of which I went mm-hmm. to the dog show this weekend, uh, which was my oh, day. Strong. Dude, let me tell you something. There's nothing weirder than a 50-something man walking around the dog show by himself, just petting dogs. <laughs> but it's super cool because, first of all, I don't really go there to see all the you know groomed, like funky mm-hmm. little dogs. The, the entire back section, of, and they cover, it's a huge section of NRG. The entire back section is all the rescue groups. Oh, and nice. So they all have their dogs out and they all have ways you can give donations and you can see what they're doing. And it's just really cool. Plus, that is cool. I saw some dogs that were like bigger than me. It was really, wow. I mean, huge. Saddle up. I, no, for serious. Like one was uh, the Irish Wolfhound. Thing must have been like three wow. and a half feet tall. It, it was this Irish Wolfhound was six months old and she already weighed 190 pounds. Oh my god. 190. Gosh. Like good lord. I mean, I weigh a little more than oh 190. Man. I'd like to weigh 190. Just to say. Yeah, I would say that's my goal too. <laughs> exactly. So dude, what a game last night. You were on mm-hmm. hand for the call as we heard in the intro. Uh the old, the old <laughs> meatloaf call which is always excellent. Um this was a this reminiscent of the Rangers series in uh Arlington. Mhm. Um, and of the Angel series, for that matter, just this wild back and forth. Um, before we dwell on the, the horrible pitching, um, <laughs> let's talk about, uh, first of all, Chazzy Fizz. My goodness. Mm. What else can this guy do? I mean, he's been brilliant at the plate. He's been great in the field. My goodness. Yeah, and... Oh man, you know Chandler Rome sent out a tweet and he goes, "By the way, Chan, uh, by the way, Chaz McCormick has been on the roster the entire season." I've seen that, and this wasn't even as good as Chaz was in the World Series. He wasn't that open. He wasn't that everyday center fielder to start the season. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a guy that's kind of. Uh, I, I actually applaud Chaz, and I'm a big fan of Chaz just because the personality is so great. He's he's yeah. a wide open book. Uh, he's emotional. Uh, he he. He loves the game and he had to go through some stuff early in the season where he was kind of, you know, have a good game, sit for a couple days. Uh, you know, we talked about it on, the, yeah. on this podcast, you know, how he was kind of maybe getting overlooked a little bit and here he is getting the opportunity. Uh, June was a good month for him, but July has been absolutely lights out. And I would imagine that he, the way he's going and, Six RBIs last night, by the way, Unreal. of those uh, what ten runs that they drove in, mm-hmm. so sixty percent of the offense. But he's going to garner some Player of the Month votes, I think, and he's already won a Player of the Week. And it was kind of funny last week when he won uh, the Player of the Week after that Anaheim series. Joe Espada was kind of giving him a hard time. He's like, "Hey, man, that's awesome! Congratulations! Love that you did that. You worked hard. You earned it." He goes. But don't stop there. He goes, we want more out of you. And guess what? Chazzy Fizz has stepped up. And I give him a lot of credit for having the the fortitude to be able to battle through, you know, not playing every day, 
taking advantage of opportunities, being patient, and then going out there and throttling whoever's on the mound in the last month. Uh, it's been impressive to watch, and I do hope, and I, I do have a vote for Player of the Month, and I think I'm leaning towards Chaz. Well, look, you're, a, you're spot on with this. Um, I think what's been most impressive to me about Chaz – uh, has been the, his poise at the plate. Like he's really mm-hmm. gotten good at his plate awareness has been very good. Um, his ability to see the ball and go after it when he has that opportunity, that classic sort of Astro baseball thing, you know, you just wait on yep. your pitch, even if one of them happens to be a strike. Um, and then really just barreling up the ball when you see it um, and taking what the, what they give you, like they happen to give him a good pitch. So he, you know, hammered the hell out of that thing. But there were a couple mm-hmm. other bats where they didn't really give him that. So he just took what was there. He's really become a complete player. And by the way, a clutch. Like this is a guy who's yeah. who's not yeah. only getting big hits, but getting them in big situations. Um, and he made a catch in the outfield too that was impressive. Like right after that. Mm-hmm. So any any com- like worries about his defense, forget that. I mean, he's the guy that left the shroud of Turin in the outfield, you know, I mean, I mean, just, just, I, I can't say enough about how impressive he's been. And like you said, a guy who didn't start the season really is the presumptive starter. Yeah, it, it, he, he's actually coming to his own and uh, he's, he's controlling the moment. I know that, you know, playing in World Series moments like that create the experience that uh, can last a while and can really ingrain itself. And I think you kind of saw the exposure of mm-hmm. of having young players play in tough situations like you saw Jeremy Pena last year. You saw Chaz McCormick last year. It's going to pay dividends down the stretch later on in these guys' careers when they say, how did you handle the moment? They say, I've been here. I've, I've done it. I've had the experience. I've had the failure and I've had the success. And that goes a long way. And you kind of really saw it, you know, in the matchup with the Texas Rangers because they haven't been in that moment for a long time. It's been the Astros division and uh, the Astros as a hunter can be kind of frightening. They're two games back and they're not at full strength. That's Mm -hmm. what's amazing to me. But you need guys like Chaz McCormick to step up. Yiner Diaz had a hell of a bat and put a great swing on a two strike pitch. But uh, these guys have a lot of fight in them and it showed last night. It was awesome. Yeah. Speaking of Yiner. uh, Well, first of all, let's Jose Abreu should have gotten his fourth walk. Just gonna say that. Oh right dear away. God! Dude. I mean, These strike zones. Speaking of robo, yeah, I know. Well, I'm gonna. I, I haven't mentioned that in a little bit here because I read a cool article about it. But yeah, I mean that he should have been. He should. That should have. The bases should have been loaded when Yiner was up there, not two on. But mm-hmm. yeah, Yiner continues to be this guy at the plate where he. You know, the only thing he seems susceptible to is the high fastball. That's where his sort of weakness is. But you look at this was somebody. Somebody sent this to me. They have the highest barrel rates per plate attempt among hitters that are under 25. And Yiner (laughs) Diaz is second to Vlad Guerrero Jr. at 10.2%. I mean, that's unbelievable, really. And Yiner just continues to do this. And you're right. Last night, what a swing. Like kind of an inside out swing on a pitch that was kind of not a great one to hit. And yet he just doinks it out into right field. And then they go after somebody described him, the noodle armed right fielder for the Texas Rangers. Another thing where frankly, and we'll, I'm going to talk about this in a second, you know, where they're a little exposed, but 
what else can you ask from Yiner? The guy's just doing everything he possibly can to stay in this lineup. Well, and he's another guy like Chaz who gets gets the opportunity kind of sporadically, yeah. but takes advantage of it. So I give I give him credit for, you know, I don't know what's going on internally if he's in Dusty's office going, let me play more, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, or if he's just kind of, you know, kind of standing there with a bat on his shoulder the entire game. But he has done he's done great things in a limited amount of appearances. Mm-hmm. And I think you talked about him chasing the fastball up, and I think he gets so greedy early in counts that he starts to chase some pitches. But when it gets to two strikes, for whatever reason, he can fight a little bit. And the swing adjustment he made in that last at bat was really impressive to me because as a young player, you're like, I want to do damage. I want to get the, mm-hmm. you know, hit the home run and turn on a pitch. But he actually got a slider that was up and kind of middle in almost. It kind of backed up, but he raises his hands, gets the barrel above the baseball and shoots it the other way. That was a mature, very mature at bat. And again, it goes to the experience in those situations. Don't panic, shorten up, put the ball in play. Good things happen. And man, not having a Dolis Garcia out there in right field for the Texas Rangers really got exposed right there. We talk about their bullpen depth. They need bench depth too, because they don't have those backup uh, outfielders or infielders that come in and back up the Seagers or back up the Adolis Garcias because Jankowski is not a right field arm. And how about the gambler, the third base coach gambler we've got out there? Hey man, he's he's educated. (laughs) He's so good. Pettis is the best. He knows his stuff, man. He does, but I mean, Uh, he's, I, I, his, I love seeing him waving that arm because I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do mm-hmm. this. I, you're right. He is educated. People talk about him like taking chances, but honestly, he's just aggressive. And good things happen when you're aggressive out there on the base paths, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this day and age, you got to force defenses to make plays yeah. and, uh, you know, in stressful situations, you've got to be able to execute. And I think it was the understanding that Jankowski does not have a right. good arm. And it was also him understanding that, but watching the play unfold because Jankowski sat back on that. He didn't charge through that baseball. He got a tough hop and sat back. And I think that's what encouraged uh, Gary to send Kyle Tucker home. And obviously it paid off. Well, you know, you're right. I think you you mentioned something just there that I don't think we talk about enough, and that is putting pressure on the other team to not make a mistake, really forcing mm-hmm. their hand. You know, because any ball that you put in play is a chance at a hit. Anytime you force somebody to make a throw, it's a chance at an error. Like all of those things. And I don't think we give enough credit for those and not being crazy aggressive but being reasonably aggressive and saying you know mm-hmm. what let's take yep. a let's take a chance at this um and i think that's something the astros do pretty well uh they, they i think they've always kind of done that pretty well we talk about the rangers like um you know a couple more games in the series but we have to talk about the pitching and and what's going on there i mean look the trade deadline's coming um the astros have said they're looking for you know, uh, a starter and a, probably a reliever. Last night we saw them both. I mean, not, not only uh, did, you know, Brian Belak, who God bless him, is doing trying to do his best out there, uh, just gives up way too many hits. But then you've got, you know, Phil Maton, who's just overworked. The guy's just overworked. Yeah. And um, it's it's a problem. You know, the Astros are, are having some issues. Now, fortunately, the bats are coming around. But... I mean, how do you go out there and do? Thankfully, Rafael Montero has suddenly gotten good again. 
you know, yeah. because I mean, what are you going to do with these guys? You have to put them out there at some point. Yeah, they, they've seen their ERA kind of jump in the last 30 games to about 4.77. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we're watching the Astros offense, I think, average right around 5.8 runs per game. Right. And to your point, you know, a good offense can mask a, a poor pitching staff. And I think that's, you know, that's a lot of what uh, the Texas Rangers success has yeah. been based on is just going out there and pounding the baseball and getting these ele- elevated uh, run counts to get them at such a good run differential that they can can't lose. Um, but at the same time, you know, Brandon Belak, uh, until this game that we saw him mm-hmm. pitch last night, had been his three starts in July before this one were outstanding. Yeah, I were. think he had a one flat ERA right. uh, doing a great job. The fastball was working well, and the changeup is always going to be one of his best pitches. But uh, for whatever reason, wasn't able to get, you know, missed barrels last night and ended up giving up a bunch of runs and walks. Yeah. Walks last night were crazy for both sides. Unreal. I think there were maybe 13 or 14 uh, combined walks in that game. And that's why you have nine runs scored and nine guys left on base. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you kind of, you're right on uh, Phil Maton. He just looks not as sharp. And when you're not as sharp, that might be a little bit of fatigue setting in because there are four or five guys in that bullpen that are 45 plus appearances. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what that must be like to have that many appearances, especially now. I mean, we're halfway through the season and these guys yeah, you're are still just got 58 games left i know it's just unreal and so it definitely brings that up now i will say this on the other side a roldis chapman must wake up in the middle of the night screaming the the astros oh name my gosh. i mean yeah. that guy i mean minute Maid park is just a i mean it's a torture chamber for that guy i mean first i mean obviously the altuve home run then we get the Chaz home run i mean my goodness he came over to be their help in the bullpen not against the I Astros. I don't think. I don't think he walked a guy until last night with the Texas Rangers. What? I mean, he he was legit lights out since that trade coming over. He's had a, he had a great year in Kansas City. Uh, the last time the mm-hmm. Astros were in Arlington, they picked up a Roldis Chapman, and he's throwing a hundred and two miles an hour with a wicked slider, and all of a sudden he can't throw a strike and throws basically a ninety seven mile crazy to say ninety seven mile an hour BP fastball, yeah. and Chaz obliterates it. But could you have lined up? I mean. You talk about eerily reminiscent yeah. of that 2019 ALCS home run happening in that game last night. That was bizarre. Same but you're spot. right. This has been a house of horrors. Oh, I mean, he hit it right to the same spot that Altuve hit it. I know. I mean, just that was crazy. Just nuts. And speaking of Altuve, you know, we we talked about this before we started recording. We got to wonder right now. Like, so Alvarez was at the game. Um. They're saying they're still evaluating, which I'm not sure what that means um, because we don't <laughs> never know what that means. I, Chandler Rome had a good mailbag where they asked him about the the injury thing, and he said, yeah, that the Astros are just one of the weirder teams in the league when it comes to injury status. But there are a lot of people who believe he could be activated maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Obviously, he's back You know, this week. Um what do we know about everybody else? I mean, Arkady's got to be close. I mean, he's thrown what three or four starts for uh, for Sugarland, mm-hmm. um, and Altuve's been at the park taking now. I don't know if he's going to go down to AAA and and do a rehab start or not. Do we do we know anything else about anybody? 
Yeah, no, we could end the podcast right here and you probably have the best answer we have because we don't have any answers. You know, I mean, Dusty was really vague on a lot of stuff. Urquidy, unfortunately, gets overshadowed by Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve yeah. and, and Jordan right. Alvarez because those are obviously the big names. But at the same time, I think you're right. You know, four or five starts kind of lends itself to the opportunity. Can he come back and how soon? Um, but at the same time, Monday is an off day in all of minor league baseball. So there was really nowhere for any of those guys to play. Mm. Sugarland's going on a road trip, so you would assume they go down to Corpus Christi to rehab, right. which is Jose Altuve's sweet spot. He <laughs> loves going down there yeah, sure does. and uh, playing at Whataburger Field down there. Um, so I would assume, you know, it's been good three weeks now for Jose Altuve. I would imagine he gets a couple of. I'm just guessing right now, too. Don't even hold me yeah. to this because I have no idea. He could come back and play for all I care. But right. he could go down to uh, Corpus and maybe get two or three games in just to make sure he's all right. But watching watching what I'm watching on the field with Brantley taking swings, yeah. Altuve hitting tanks every time he steps into the batting cage, and then watching Jordan move these guys aren't moving as rehab players. They're moving as healthy players right. <laughs> in my eyes. And that's where I think we all going to get frustrated because we know how good this team is. We also know how good they could be with these guys in the, in the lineup. And I think that's where we all get kind of frustrated. And yeah, you're right. The Astros really, really, I think play it much slower than some other organizations. Yeah, I think they do. And I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm actually excited about the potential of Michael Brantley. Like, I feel like... I know. Because here's the thing. He needs a spring training, though. <laughs> he does. There's no doubt. But here's the thing with Michael Brantley. You don't need Brantley to come in and be crazy good. You just need him nope. to be that solid anchor bat in the lineup that that put, that put increases all the depth that you've created because he wasn't here, right? And so I feel mm -hmm. like that's the thing. If you just get Brantley's bat in there, another left-handed bat, you know, into the lineup... Yeah. And a guy that maybe doesn't have to play every single day, you know, a guy that can play uh, on and off depending upon what your lineups are. I mean, he has offers a lot uh, to this team in terms of his ability to just come in there and be that guy in the lineup that can just put, you know, put the the ball, uh, put the bat, the bat on the ball, get balls in play. Um, we need more of that from this team offensively. Yeah, no, he, he's a he's a positive force, you know, and uh, he has hit 300 every time he's put on an Astros jersey. So oh, you're right. Bat to ball skills is probably one of the more elite. And I, I believe it's still in there for him. It's just a matter of making sure that he's healthy enough to go out there and do it consistently. But you're right. We saw it last night with Corey Jolks being a pinch hitter off the bench. Yep. I mean, there are going to be weapons on this bench for Dusty Baker when these guys come back healthy. And that's what part of what kind of turns me on down the stretch with these guys is that you've given the Jolks so many at bats you've given Jake Myers so many at bats that you really hope that Dubon's you know Dubon's going to end up being mm -hmm. that utility maybe guy come off the bench too and he's going to put together a, a good at bat and potentially big hit for you so they're actually kind of trending in the right direction as far as the offensive side is concerned because all these guys that have gotten them to this point are going to be assets on the bench yeah I, that's that's so true and, and it's just a, I mean, it's, it's fun to imagine those possibilities. You know, you feel like mm -hmm. putting, <laughs> putting together a, a video game lineup be like, okay, if we can just get these guys back. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over one other thing. And that is how good Kyle Tucker has been. I mean, I, you Dude. know, it just, 
Like, I feel like for some reason, Kyle, and I've, I've said this before, I feel like sometimes Kyle Tucker just gets forgotten, right? And I don't know how that's mm-hmm. even possible, given how good he is um, and given just how dynamic a player he is. But, man, lately he's been so good um, and so consistent. Um, he's just a guy that you just, you just come to rely on him without thinking about it. And it's pretty incredible considering how good he actually is. Yeah, well, how how soon do some of these articles that we see that, uh, you know, especially locally and sometimes in the athletic, the most underrated superstar in the game of baseball is Kyle Tucker. At some point, the, the, the underrated is going to get out of that uh, headline. Right. And it's going to be check out this superstar down in Houston because he has been consistent now for the last two or three years. Yeah. Uh, he's expecting to go out and produce. Guess what else he's doing? He's doing it without Jordan Alvarez hitting anywhere in this lineup. That's what everybody keeps talking about. And that's why you're getting the exposure you're getting right now is because he's not overshadowed by the behemoth known as Jordan Alvarez. He is a guy and now he's getting the recognition and hopefully it just continues to thrust him forward. But it was kind of funny before that, uh, that, that uh, four game series in Oakland, I looked over at TK before game one in Oakland and understanding that pitching staff, I looked at him and I said, we are going to leave this ballpark and head back to minute Maid park. And, Kyle Tucker is going to be hitting 300 and his OPS is going to be 900. And he kind of looked at me like, really? You think so? I'm like, dude, watch. And we, that game yesterday, he stepped in at 302 and an 893 OPS. So he is putting up superstar, big time extension type numbers. Ladies and gentlemen, Blumstradamus does it again. I'm telling you, <laughs> busting. Yeah. That's basically. <laughs> he has been busting. I mean, I mean, look at you. Yeah, I saw last night when he went to his final bed. He's at three oh seven or something now. Like mm-hmm. Kyle, we talked about this early in the year. So a little pat ourselves on the back for this. We talked about if he could just move his batting average because he had a kind of a off year last year in terms of average. We said like if he could just move from like the three fifties. Our 250s up to like the 270 range, right? Imagine what yeah. he'd be like. And now he's hitting 300 plus. Yeah, that's and and really great point about the fact that Jordan is not playing right now because that's a huge factor in all this. When you get Jordan like either behind or in front of Kyle, T- I mean, yeah, it's just gonna. Uh, so I, I didn't want to not mention Kyle Tucker because. I just feel like too often we're not mentioning him, and he's really just such a catalyst. Well, and I mean, you got to mention it. He he is getting the opportunity to be exposed as a very good hitter because the shift is not being implemented. And it also gives you a real good idea of how good the shift can work against some guys. But he has done, he has really benefited. I don't know the numbers as far as what hits wouldn't have been hits before, whatever things like that. But I know for a fact that he is a very good hitter and benefited from the shift not being employed. Yeah, he absolutely is. And we're seeing that come to come to fruition now we talk mm-hmm. about all these guys but we also have to talk about the trade deadline which is coming here's the irony yeah. for me for 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 me i decided well i didn't decide someone else decided that i would be on <laughs> vacation um when uh the trade deadline happens <laughs> but here even more interestingly than that i'm going to be in yellowstone national park in which there is very little to no uh, phone or wire or Wi-Fi access. So there's a you? decent chance that on August 1st, when all this goes down, I will be incommunicado, which makes me feel like throwing myself into a geyser. 
um, that I will not, <laughs> but, but, uh, but nevertheless, it is coming. And, you know, the Astros have talked a little bit about taking from their major league roster um, to maybe, and I think like I, you know, Chandler Rome mentioned in his article, which was really good. He said, you know, if you're looking at it, you have to think the two biggest names on that list have got to be uh, Jake Myers and Corey Jolks. Now, uh, everyone knows my uh, my deep, intense, and abiding love for Corey Jolks. I do not want to see him traded, but I get it. Um, if you look at those, but if you look at those two guys, both of guys have been pretty consistent. And then you look at a couple of names in the minor leagues. You just look at Corey Lee. You look at uh, Spencer Arnetti. Couple of guys like that, you start to you start to see the makings of what might become uh, a decent package that could land you a starter and a reliever. Now maybe they're not going to get a number one, although you know everybody's flirting with this idea of Justin Verlander or whoever it is. Um, Good lord, yeah. I know. But I, also, in some of it, and I'll and I'll let you answer after I ramble here for a second. I, some of it comes down to Jim Crane. He, we all know, he's a very aggressive guy when it comes to these types of deals. I mean, what are they going to Astros going to have to do? And you know, I mean, are they really going to be able to get a really high leverage reliever and a and a big time starter out of this? I don't know. They're going to have to be creative. I I agree with you. You know, it's, it may take some big league talent. It may take one or two prospects because that prospect, uh, you know, number that they have down in the minor leagues, isn't all that great or that appealing. So you're going to have to be able to sell this and maybe it is going to involve a Jake Myers. Uh, you know, I'm with you, uh, in Corey Jolks, love that guy to death. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's a huge weapon for, uh, Dusty Baker, but at the same time, if you, if you have to be willing to give up something great to get something great in return, so that you know, if I'm giving those guys up, it's going to be a Marcus Stroman type player. But at the same time, you know, it's these are some short term rentals. Are you willing to give that up for short term rentals to go out there and try and win another championship? But like you said, I think Jim Crane's shown the willingness to pay some of these contracts and make some of these moves because he wants to go out there and win so so yeah. much. Um, but it's going to be a real test for Dana Brown to go out there and create a package. Maybe it's some of the first. Maybe it's the first couple of picks you had this season right. that uh, you say, okay, we've got Bryce Matthews, a number one pick. You know, because you can't trade draft picks in Major League right. Baseball. But as long as as long as they're under contract, they're available for that trade. Right. Um, you know, Michael Lorenzen's having a, a very good month, and he's mm-hmm. made himself incredibly appealing, which might be a little bit less as far as trying to give up pieces to go get. Yeah. Um, you know, there's Jordan Montgomery. I think is really appealing in uh, St. Louis right. just because he's got experience and he's pitched in pressure, and it's a left-handed arm. But uh, you know, they have got some serious choices to make, and I think that the idea of what starting pitcher they want to go get has kind of been altered because of the performance of Framber Valdez and Christian Javier. So they might be going for a for a a top tier type guy yeah. is my probable assumption. If they can't get that, I'm not sure they make a move. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. And I do think I think if they're going for a rental, I think you won't see as I don't think they'll go as deep into their prospect pool as they would yeah. uh, if they were going for somebody who's under contract. If you're going to go for somebody mm-hmm. who's already who's you know under contract for a couple of years, 
then yeah, I can see them. They're not going to trade Drew Gilbert, but I could see them moving. You know, uh, Jacob Melton, uh, who's another one on their you know in their top fifteen or twenty prospect list. Well, and you know, you know, teams are going to be calling about Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Oh yeah, those are the two top guys. Yeah, and the, I, the Astros obviously aren't going to be doing that unless they, they. I mean, for that, they'd have to get a superstar who's under contract, yeah. and there. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I do think it would be interesting to. I think it's going to be very interesting to see where they go. And I, I really uh, appreciate what you said about they're going to go after somebody who's a big, you know, big time starter, or maybe they don't make a move. Uh, I think you're probably right. And I think some of that is just Jim Crane's nature. You know, he is just, mm-hmm. he's a, he likes to roll the dice. I remember uh, Sean Pendergast from 610 and I were working on this book about the Rockets. This was years ago. And we went in and we both interviewed Les Alexander, the owner of the Rockets at the time. And at one of the things that Sean and I both noticed was he had us on his desk. He had a stack of poker chips like this. And he was just holding <laughs> them in his hand and like just, you know, like dropping them into his palm one after the other, which is a sort of mm-hmm. weird affectation to begin with. It's sort of like Dr. Evil, hmm, you know, but it's like, yeah. he, was just, he was just like <laughs> dropping these poker chips, but it's really, a, I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for how he was as owner. He was definitely a risk taker. He was definitely a gambler. I feel like Jim Crane is cut from that same cloth. He's a guy who's willing to be, you know, take the big swing and miss if he needs to, uh, to go after these guys because he, and I think that's a credit to him because he is such a, a guy who just really loves to win and he loves the game of baseball. Um, and probably because he played the game, it makes a difference. No, I think you're 100% on the fact, uh, you know, what creates the attitude for Jim Crane is the fact that he did play the game and kind of was, you know, one of those guys that was maybe going to play a little bit professionally until he had the injury and then all of a sudden made a couple billion dollars and bought a team. And he's kind of brought the same mentality with him. And I think what's great is he has the expectation of himself and then he kind of, you know, uh, you know, puts that on people who work mm-hmm. for him. He expects the same expectation from them. And uh, that's why Dana Brown's here. And hopefully uh, Dana Brown and his knowledge and his experience and the, you know, not the pressure, but the excitement of Jim Crane can kind of push him in the direction to make a move. But uh, Jim Crane has definitely gleaned a lot of his, you know, he can be a little more uh, aggressive and risk-taking in the baseball arena as opposed to the business arena just because he has that mentality. And you think he has a pretty good understanding of what it takes to go out there and win, and he's proven that over the last six or seven years, and he still likes holding on to the fact that he can show up at an owner's meeting and go, hey, guys, have you seen my trophy? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. Or who, trophies, who I should wouldn't? say. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I mean, enjoy that. And, and I'll tell you something, too. Look, the Astros are a little spoiled. You know, I was on uh, the doing the radio that I do every week on uh, Houston on Houston Matters on eighty eight point seven FM, and we were talking about the whole thing with Daniel Snyder and and you know, and we talked about the A's <laughs> moving and all this stuff. Astros are Astros are. I mean, the Houston is in pretty good shape. Um, I mean, I know we can we can debate about the Texans, but, um, but when it comes to the Astros and Rockets, honestly, from an ownership standpoint, we're in a pretty good place. And, uh, and Jim Crane has been really good. I remember when Jim Crane bought the team and the whole discussion was, would he spend money? You know, would he make Mm -hmm. big risks in order to make the team better? And then when those first few years, when they just, you know, 
decimated the roster in order to rebuild. People are like, oh, he's going to be cheap. Well, clearly he is not. Jim Crane will yeah. Jim Crane will do that what out the window. is necessary. So let me I want to mm-hmm. ask you about this RoboUmp thing. Um, there's an article uh, that was in the Athletic I thought was really interesting. I wanted to get your perspective. It was talking about how an unintended consequence of RoboUmps in minor leagues is that younger players are learning the strike zone better. And I thought mm-hmm. this was a fascinating sort of you know, thing was that because the strike zone was so consistent with robo-ups, because they weren't having to think about swinging at high pitches or low pitches or, you know, balls that were three inches outside, they started learning the strike zone and they became more uh, acclimated to it. And as a result, they became better hitters. Um, that to me sounds really good. <laughs> As a fan, yeah. as someone who's like, yeah, that would, that sounds great. Like you can learn from an early age; it makes you a better hitter. And in essence, if you have robo bumps, I, I would assume at the major league level you'd be a better hitter. I mean, would do you, I, that has to be a good training oh my lesson, right? Gosh, dude, are you kidding? Well, how about the fact that you're actually calling a legitimate zone as a hitter? I would absolutely love that. Right. You know, I, I grew up in the '90s playing where it was east and west. It wasn't north and south. Right. I mean, it was good six inches off the outside corner, and I, you couldn't reach half the stuff that was being called. But at the same time, you know, I don't know how long it's going to be until Robo Umps are instituted. Mm-hmm. I know the challenge system is is something that's being toyed with, um, but I've also heard that there's games in in AAA or Double. Wherever they have the challenge system, where you have sixty-five challenges a game, yeah. which is not a good reflection of of knowledge of the strike zone by either hitter or umpire. <laughs> right, that's bad. But at the but at the same time, I think it you know as a hitter, knowing that that zone is going to be called legitimate to the to the score to the rule book, mm-hmm. and it's going to be automated. I'm going to tighten things up, and I'm going to be a little more questionable on pitches on the edges. So I think it is a good tool to actually get these hitters to understand that strike zone that much better. But it's encouraging because that strike zone isn't as big as you think it is when umpires are going out there and making some of these calls. These guys have a real good understanding. And you can tell by watching our games how good the big league guys are at it, too. Well, you know, Blum, it's interesting, too. I would think that what would happen just theoretically is, I mean, minor leagues, you get 65 calls. Some of that is we're talking about minor league officials, too. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're learning. They're learning just as much as the players. Exactly. Are. So I've got it. Look, for all the grief we give major league umpires, they're pretty damn good at their jobs or they wouldn't be in the major leagues yeah. in the first place. I would think if you had that backing you up, it might change your perspective in how you call a game. Maybe it's just me. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, completely because you're going to have to you, you can't make as many borderline judgment calls because you do have something backing you up. They go, no, 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 no. Hold on. Let's let's check the tape. You know, let's mm-hmm. find out what the deal is. I think it's a really fascinating development. I did see in the story that Rob Manford said eventually, whatever we can believe of Rob Manford, um, that eventually there would be ro- there would be some sort of version of that, but probably not next year. So I'll be I'll be mm-hmm. real curious to see how it goes. I think I, I think I'd love it, especially last night when Jose Abreu gets a th- Gosh, ball three man. inches below the zone at at minimum. That's a walk. That was terrible. That was horrible. I mean, there's there's pitches on the edges, but that was terrible. And by the way, he already had three walks. What's up with Abreu like walking all over the place? I mean, I know he's spitting on some stuff. I know he is. Last qu- quick thing, and then uh, we'll move on for the day. 
I just saw this and I wanted to get your opinion because you and I have talked a lot about sports and teams and how important they are to cities. So the Tennessee Titans decide to roll out their throwback <sighs> uniforms and their Houston Oiler, Love You Blue era, Columbia Blue. Listen, I grew up here. I was a huge Oilers fan. Uh, I went to the Astrodome and watched Joel Campbell play. Um, they showed a highlight package. The Tennessee Titans posted some highlight package. I'm like, sure, all those games were played in Houston, but yeah, fine. Um, I hate that teams can take <laughs> their names with them. I hate it. I hate the yeah. fact that the whitest state in the nation, Utah, has the Jazz, which started in New Orleans, which is so much more appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. I hate these sort of things. Obviously, we know some of that is, you know, the, the, the Browns kept their name. The Sonics are going to get it. The Seattle's going to get a new team eventually, and it will be the Sonics, which is great. Um, but to me, this is an identity, especially we just saw the the Astros caps that came out. One of them is Columbia Blue, man. One of them is, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the Rockets did throwback jerseys that were Columbia Blue. It makes me incredibly frustrated, and I, I just wonder what your take on that, just as teams in general, because you didn't grow up in Houston, obviously, but it must be frustrating for you as a fan. Yeah, I didn't grow up in Houston, but I, 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 but I think that's where it kind of maybe explains itself, because if what do I identify that color and that logo with? I, I identify with the city of Houston. Okay. The, there's two things about that. I, I understand that the you know, despising the Tennessee Titans. And it feels like they're doing it on purpose just to thumb their, you know, nose and at at the uh, Houston uh, uh, sports fan. But on the other hand, I love the fact that it reignites the conversation of the Earl Campbell's, the Billy White Shoes Johnson, the Dan Pastorini's and some of these guys. I know there's plenty other names, but those are the names I remember from watching from afar. And I love the fact that, you know, it reignites the conversation about how great some of those teams were. But. You know, Love You Blue was something that endeared itself to the city of Houston. Mm-hmm. And that Columbia Blue is in that, that's what is it, a spindle tap, the, mm-hmm. the oil rig yep. that's on the side of the helmet. Obviously, that has absolutely zero to do with Tennessee. It has everything to do with what represents that blue collar mentality and that work ethic that showed up down here in Houston. Uh, you know, the Warren moons yeah. and, and guys like that, that's what it kind of reincarnates for me. And it's really frustrating that a city that, that took a team away from a city can use that against that. It feels like they're using it against them. That's the only thing I don't like, you know, it's, it's, it, they're not wearing it in honor of those players. They're wearing it because it's a kick-ass uniform. Yeah. Oh no. And, and I'm so glad you said that about, it, it feels like it's, they're sticking it to him. Look, the team is still owned by the Adams family. And that, which sounds funny when, now that I say it that way, exactly. But, but the interesting thing about this, Bud Adams was hated here in Houston, widely hated. And mm-hmm. for, and, and in some cases for good reason. And I do think some of this is spite. Like, you know, we own the, the Columbia blue. We own, you know, listen, ask any rapper that's from Houston who owns Columbia blue. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, <laughs> ask anybody, it would be the equivalent of if the Astros moved and somebody else tried to claim the rainbow jerseys, like, you, oh, dear no, God. it's not happening or the ketchup and mustard for the rockets. You know, it's like, you just, mm-hmm. to me, it's a, it's, it is a slap in the face. Um, 
Uh, and I, it's frustrating. To me, I start thinking about like the A's. Are they going to be the A's in Las Vegas? Are they going to keep the green and gold? Yeah. And should they? Right? You know, it's like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Some of these things really, they, they're kind of infuriating. I mean, the, the, th- the fact of the matter is the Los Angeles Lakers should not be named the Lakers. They came from Minnesota. It's the land of a thousand lakes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I just, you know, you're talking about the Oakland A's. I don't think you can move them, to, you know, if and when they move to Vegas. I don't think you can take that moniker and take that with them. I just don't. It, it almost seems desperate when you do that because I don't have the identity in the new city. So I'm going to take mm-hmm. the one from where it came from and slap it on. And why, you know, Tennessee, if I don't understand why Tennessee has to go out there and, and borrow another city's history. Right. I don't, that's what I don't understand. Cause they understand that. Yes, they are a franchise that began in Houston. They completely changed. If they wanted to use that logo again, then they should have taken it with them. They did not. They completely changed everything to the Tennessee Titans, but yet they feel desperate enough that and uncomfortable enough with their current logo to try and go back and snatch somebody else's history. We should just start calling ourselves music city. Just to, just to spite yeah. Nashville, just for that reason. Although, you know, you said about the A's going to Vegas, guess guess what the NFL team is? The Vegas Raiders. Raiders. Which yeah. is sick. Which is sick when you think well, about it. Well, they've got a history of being obnoxious and moving. Al Davis moved them to L.A. <laughs> and calling the Raiders. I mean, Al, good Al grief. Davis. Al Davis was one of the most – that's one of the great and bizarre stories in the history of sports ownership is just – Al Davis. You just mm-hmm. say the name Al Davis, and that's what you get. All right, Blummer, a couple more games against the Rangers. Any final thoughts on what this uh, on this series? I mean, it's it's been the first game was nuts. The series in Arlington was nuts. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I love the fact that this is turning back into a rivalry because Texas yes. is playing well enough to consider it a rivalry. So I think it's good for the fans up in uh, you know South Oklahoma. I think it's great for the fans down here in Houston. Uh, tonight's game is going to be JP France against a bullpen for the Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. which should benefit the Houston Astros to be able to take two out of you know, the first two of this series. And then you finish it off with Framber Valdez against Andrew Heaney, who is giving it up to the Astros. But uh, yeah, it's exciting. I love it. Fans are showing up. This team is exciting to watch and they're getting reinforcements and the trade deadline. They're, this is going to be a good couple of weeks uh, in an Astros franchise uh, this season. It absolutely is. And if they sweep this series, man, forget it. All, oh, dear God. All bets are off. Yeah. All bets are off. We'll be back on Friday uh, with a fresh prod brought to you by Bet Online. And then I'm going on vacation uh, during the trade deadline. So all y'all can just uh, enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the cool weather what I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> enjoy the altitude. Uh, again, huge thanks to yep. all of our listeners and viewers all over the world. You guys are great. Liking, subscribing, commenting as always. Super thankful for all of you guys. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on Friday. Go Astros. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.